Chris Make. Thanks, Make. Thank you. I just wanted applause, so that's it. I'm off now. Thank you. <laughs> okay, you can see flip charts. We've gone high tech today. Can do an 80s sales presentation. Okay, let me um, read you something from the Bible. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read from Luke 24, verses 13 to 32. Uh, and in true Mike tradition, I've picked. Um, a translation probably no one else has got. So when I say follow along, you can try your best. It says, picture this. That same day, two other disciples, not of the eleven, are traveling the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. As they walk along, they talk back and forth about all that has transpired during recent days. While they're talking, discussing, and conversing, Jesus catches up with them and begins walking with them. But for some reason, they don't recognize him. You two seem deeply engrossed in conversation, said Jesus. What are you talking about as you walk along this road? They stop walking and just stand there, looking sad. One of them, Cleopas is his name, speaks up. You must be the only visitor in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's been going on over the last few days. What are you talking about, said Jesus. They replied, it's all about the man named Jesus of Nazareth. He was a mighty prophet who did amazing miracles and preached powerful messages in the sight of God and everyone around. Our chief priests and authorities handed him over to be crucified. We've been hoping that he was the one, you know, the one who would liberate all Israel and bring God's promises. Anyway, on top of all this, just this morning, the third day after the execution, some women in our group really shocked us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't see his body anywhere. They came back and told us they did see something, a vision of heavenly messengers, and these messengers said that Jesus was alive. Some people in our group went to the tomb to check it out, and just as the women had said, it was empty, but they didn't see Jesus. Come on, men, Jesus said. Why are you being so foolish? Why are your hearts so sluggish when it comes to believing what the prophets have been saying all along? Didn't it have to be this way? Didn't the anointed one have to experience these sufferings in order to come into his glory? Then he begins with Moses and continues prophet by prophet, explaining the meaning of the Hebrew Scriptures, showing how they were talking about the very things that had happened to Jesus. About this time, they are nearing the destination. Jesus keeps walking ahead as if he has no plans to stop, but they convince him to join them. Please, be our guest. It's getting late and it will soon be too dark to walk. So he accompanies them to their home, and when they sit down at the table for dinner, he takes the bread in his hands, he gives thanks for it, and then he breaks it and hands it to them. At that instant, two things happen simultaneously. Their eyes are suddenly opened, so they recognize him, and he instantly vanishes, just disappears before their eyes. The two disciples look at each other. Amazing! Weren't our hearts on fire within us while he was talking on the road? Didn't you feel it all coming clear as he explained the meaning of the Hebrew Scriptures? Okay. I'm going to need a little bit of help with my flip charts. Can I get a... I need somebody who can write neatly, because that ain't me. Anyone able to write neatly? Devon? I need another person. Connor, was your hand up as well? Right, you come up as well. Okay. 
audience participation, okay? Need that. Word association. If you see the word flame, okay, there's no trick question here. If you see the word flame, what words spring to mind? If you shout a few out, Devon's going to write them down for us. So, hot, fire, burning. So, sorry? Handle. Candle. Sorry. I was wondering how it handles. a bit strange. Candle. Sorry. Did wash the ears this morning, not very well. Any more? Warmth. Okay, warmth. Is that, sorry? Holy Spirit. Sorry. Holy Spirit. Okay. Any more? One or two more? Light. Very good. You know, it's always risky. I'm always hoping you get the right two or three buzzwords I'm going for, so... Always risk again for audience participants. Never work with children, animals, in the congregation. <laughs> Fire, we've got that one excellent. One of the ones I came up with was potential. And you'll see why later. Okay? You can see one of potential? Poten- uh, Fantastic. Thanks, Devon. Okay. Who else? Connor. You wanted to help, didn't you? Was it your night hand that's up? Who's down there? Who's waving from the floor? <laughs> Hannah. Don't mind one of you. Okay. You take the pen off Devon. <gasps> There's nothing on that one. That's not going to work, is it? It's all gone horribly wrong. Okay. Over this side, we've got the word fire. Okay, same thing again. What words spring to mind when you see the word fire? Flame. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> Great. Flame. Got that? Anything else? Blaze. Flame. Yeah, we've got flame. Thank you. Anything else? Fire safety. Excellent. Safety. Forest. I to it quickly, Hannah. Exit. Very good. If you don't get out of the way quickly enough. Exit. Alan Sugar. Excellent on The Apprentice. <laughs> What's that, Charlie? Danger. That's very good. You're right, nice and big there, Hannah. That's excellent. Fireman. What's that, sorry? Fireman. Chip pan. <laughs> excellent. Claire, you're right, this doesn't work at all, does it? <laughs> she didn't say that, don't worry. Claire apologises on behalf of me again. It's a common thing. Okay, I thought of uncontrollable. So we'll put that one down, because I want to use that one. <laughs> okay, good, that's fine. Thank you, Hannah. Big hand for my two special volunteers. Thanks very much. Okay. Now, there's some kind of similarity between the two, but hopefully you can see a little bit of a difference between flame, I think I like a candle, and fire, where you've got something like 
the forest fire. A little bit of a difference. A few weeks ago, we sang the song Back to the Start by Martin Smith. And that's got in it um, the line, which is the title for the sermon today, I'm a fire, I'm not a flame. Okay. So my question today, to me and to us, am I a flame or am I a fire? Does my heart burn like it did for the disciples when Jesus was explaining the passages for them? And if not, if I'm like a flame, how do I get from a flame over here? Eight simple paces to become a fire. And that's hopefully where we're going today. Fingers crossed. Let's look at a couple of people. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 29. This is a guy called Paul speaking. Uh, Paul says this. He says, They say they serve Christ. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in jail more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jews gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled many weary miles. I have faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the stormy seas. And I have even faced danger from those who claim to be Christians, but are not. I have lived with the weariness and pain of sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. But besides all this, I have the daily burden of how the churches are getting along. Who is weak without my, who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray that I do not burn with anger? There was a man who'd been through some difficult times. Now, this is before he even went to Rome and the whole Roman journey and the problems that came on that. There's plenty of reasons in there. The beatings, the stonings, the prison. Enough reasons there for anyone to want to quit, thinking, is it really worth it? There's a lot of challenges going his way. And yet Paul was a man who burned with zeal and passion for God on a constant basis, on a daily basis. Paul was always a passionate man. He passionately tried to destroy the church at first until God met him miraculously. And even more passionately, he went to spread the gospel. Nobody probably... No single person has done a bigger job in spreading the gospel than Paul. No matter what the world threw at him, the beatings, the prison, the shipwrecks, he remained on fire for God. If you look at King David, anointed king when he was just a lad, 14 years it was before he became king. Plenty of opportunities to give up and think it was all wrong. The king, Saul, hated him, tried to kill him many times. When he did become king later on, One of his sons stole half his kingdom. Yet he's a man who didn't stop trusting God. No one else in the Bible is described as a man after God's own heart. A man with a passion burning in his soul. In the passage I read at the start, Cleopas and his companion, they encouraged Jesus to stop for a meal because it was getting too late to walk. It was getting late and it was dangerous to walk on the streets. And yet they sat down for a meal. God revealed who he was. And straight away, not caring about the lateness of the hour or the danger, they rushed seven miles straight back to Jerusalem. Their hearts were on fire. They couldn't keep it in. They had to spread the message. 
Or even look in Hebrews 11. It's a well-known passage of heroes of faith. People who, despite their circumstances, burned with zeal and desire for God. If you look at Noah, I'm sure I've read somewhere once, he lived about 70 miles away from the ocean and he started work on the ark 100 years or so before the flood. There's a lot of opportunity to give up there, but he kept on going because he loved God. Joseph spent a lot of time in prison, but he never forgot his God when he was in prison. Caleb and Joshua, they went into the promised land and they were determined they gave the good report, the two of them that gave the good report. Come on, Israel, if God says we can do it, we can do it. Their hearts are on fire for their God. Gideon had an army of 300 men, and yet defeated the entire Midianites, 120,000 of them or something. I look at Elijah and the prophets of Baal uh, in what was it, 1 Kings 18. And they're up on the top of the mountain, and he soaks his offering, completely soaks it. There's no way it could possibly catch fire. And God comes and miraculously burns it up. His heart was on fire. He knew that the 450 prophets of Baal didn't stand a chance because they weren't worshipping a God. They were worshipping an image. His heart was on fire for God. Hopefully you can see that those who were on fire achieved a lot. Paul achieved masses in his lifetime. Noah saved his family and the human race. Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. There's many, many more stories when people who are on fire achieve a great thing for God. What about us? What about me? Am I in that same position? I'm sure if you're honest, there'll be times when there's peaks and troughs. Sometimes you like a flame, and sometimes you like a fire. And you'll kind of go between the two, something like that. Maybe more towards a fire, maybe more towards a flame, maybe it won't be nice and even like that. But there'll be times... We're not feeling really on fire for God. We're still loving Jesus. We're still worshipping Jesus. We're still believers. But we don't feel quite as on fire. We don't feel we're making the progress that we should. And there's other times when we're over here and we know that there's nothing that can stop us. Nothing that can stop us at all. Looking back in my life, I can see times when I've been on here. Uh, back when I was... Uh, still living down south before I even went to university. Started up a new kids' work at the church I was at. I even went door knocking to advertise it. That's how on fire I was at the time. Those of you who know me, that's a hard thing for me to do. I used to take kids from inner city areas on, um, on Christian camps. Uh, my heart was on fire then. When I got baptised, um, it was the time when uh, we declared by faith that Claire and I were going to have children. <laughs> so nothing could stop me then, I tell you. If you don't know the story, talk to me or Claire about it. We'd be delighted to share it with you. Before the first frenzy and there was 30 days of prayer, oh man, we were on fire then. We knew that no matter what we prayed, that God would come through. We would do it. And taking over the running of the kids' work with Claire, we were on fire at that point, you know. Didn't matter, the kids were in for a... A shock or a treat, I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? And there's times when we're like that. There's other times when maybe slink back down this side a little bit more. I should be able to moonwalk, shouldn't I? That'd be good, of course, to see. <laughs> guys, you can, can you guys moonwalk? They're not even listening. Are they? <laughs> Youth leaders, take note. <laughs> okay, and there's many reasons. Yeah, you can moonwalk. 
I might get it in a minute then. Okay, I might use you for that in a minute. There many, there's many reasons why we can go from being on fire to becoming a flame. There's busyness. We get distracted. Financial pressures come along. We don't spend as much time with God as we should. We start thinking about what we want to do and what our own needs are. Decide to go alone. Disappointments, betrayal, loss of a job maybe. It's easy to get knocked down. And it's quite hard to get back up again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus spent time praying for you and me, for every single one of us. He knew that being a Christian wasn't going to be a walk in the park. It's a difficult thing to do. It says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, and it's not easy. So when we do get knocked down, it is understandable why sometimes it's hard to get back up again. But even when I'm down here, when I'm down towards the flame, I know that I want to be up here, near a fire. Anyone else feel like that? Thank goodness for that. I know that God's desire for my life is I'm on fire and ablaze for him constantly. Last Sunday we sang the song that we sang. So again, last Sunday we sang the song "This Fire Never Sleeps." These lines: "Burn, O oh my soul, set me on fire, light up the fire." And quite a lot of the songs on the song list at the moment, on the worship list that uh, Lindsay's put together, are about fire and the fire in our hearts. If we're singing these things, then it must be something that it's not just me. We must all be wanting to be at this place on fire. Okay. And I kind of like to think of it, when I was thinking about this, it's kind of like, you've got a car sat at the traffic lights. The traffic lights are red. And when you sat there, checking your hair in the mirror, maybe phoning somebody, hands-free of course, maybe you're changing the music, doing something like that. And the car's kind of idling away, just ticking away, unless you're a boy racing, you zoom, zoom. Most of you aren't like that, except Claire. <laughs> But then all of a sudden, the light goes green. And God calls us into action. And that's when, instead of sitting at the traffic lights, we can carry on and you're getting beat from behind because you aren't moving forwards. What you should do, pedal to the middle. Shoot off and go in the way you want to go. Or a hot water, um, or another way of thinking about it is a, a pilot light on a boiler, which is just ticking away all the time. It's keeping things ticking over. When you want heat or hot water... Water, water, sorry. <laughs> Landon's coming back, you know. <laughs> when you want heat or hot water, uh, you crank up the heating, and that little pilot light woof, should go into a big fire, and it heats up the water and it heats up the air. So if it doesn't, you have a cold shower. But it's not fulfilled its sole purpose. And that's the same with us. When God calls us to move away from the traffic lights, our sole purpose, we want to make sure we're ready to go right away, as soon as he says. Otherwise, you might miss the opportunity. Uh, Jesus told a parable in Matthew 25 of the ten bridesmaids. Five were ready. They take an extra oil. Five weren't ready. And when the bridegroom came, there's five that weren't ready, missed out completely. They were still sat, checking the hair at the traffic lights when they turned green. They hadn't shot away. So, in true Mike tradition, we have to have a list of things. I'm a numbers man. How do I move 
from a flame to a fire? Is it as simple as walking across a stage? Well, you know what? Yeah, it is. Okay, got four steps. First one, spend quality time with God to get to know him intimately. And notice the word there, quality, not quantity. It's an important distinction. Last Sunday, uh, we went home from church and uh, we watched The Karate Kid on telly. It was the new one, wasn't the old one. Um, and it was nice. For two hours, we kind of sat there as a family and uh, Matthew loves his telly and loves an opportunity just to cuddle up with Claire. And, and it was good. We just had nice family time sat on the, sat on the sofa. Monday, I was at work, came home early from work, nothing on the roads, came home early, got home in time for tea, and the four of us sat around the table and had tea together for about 20 minutes, maybe something like that. But I tell you what, those 20 minutes were worth far more to me and to Claire and to the kids than the two hours that we'd spent together on the Sunday. We got to chat, I found out what they'd done during the day, um, and you get to learn more about things. So it didn't have to be a long time, just little snippets. And it's the same with time spent with God. There's that quality time. And quality time, it's not just prayer, it's not just worship, it's not just reading the Bible. It is those things, but it's also about taking the time to be still and to listen. It's busy sometimes. I know sometimes when there's a silence, there's a need to fill a silence. But when you're in God's presence, there's no need to fill a silence. If you stop and allow God just to speak. Shut yourself away, just you and God. Jesus regularly went off alone to pray. And if it's good enough for Jesus, I kind of figure it's good enough for me. After feeding the 5,000, he went away. Before selecting his disciples, he went on his own to pray. Many times after healing, he went on his own to pray and to get refreshed from his Father. And my encouragement here would be, even if you don't feel like doing it, you need to do it. So that's point one. Second point, study your Bible. Every three or four years or so, I do one of these um, Bible in a year. I've got a couple of them in different translations. Um, and they're good. It's, it's good to read the whole Bible in a year. Uh, I've got a chronological one, which is really excellent, actually, which is really good. It kind of puts things in focus, doesn't do it in the same order as a normal Bible. And it kind of makes a bit more sense sometimes. But there's times when, for whatever reason, you start to fall behind. I didn't do the reading that day. Something cropped up. I didn't do it that day as well. And suddenly you're two or three days behind. And then condemnation comes. Oh, no, what am I going to do? And you end up, what you're doing, doing is either skipping a few days or rushing just to read it. And you read it for the sake of reading it. And you don't really read it. Does that make sense? Yeah, good. Okay. Luke 24, 32, there's a bit of it at the start. Didn't you feel it all coming clear as he explained the meaning of the Hebrew Scriptures? We want it to become clear. We want to understand what the Scriptures are saying. About um, 15 years ago, uh, one Christmas, uh, Claire and I got a, a letter from my dad. Um, we're men, we don't do emotions. So he couldn't say something to our faces because he knew he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be able to cope. But he wrote us a letter. He wrote us a letter about the Christmas story, about Christmas, about what it meant to him, about what it means to us, about God's love for us, about his love 
for us. And it is something I know if he tried to speak to me and say it, he'd never have got through with it, and I wouldn't either. And I still read it every now and then, not regularly. Occasionally I'll get it out and I'll read it. Now I know that my dad loved me. He did used to say it on a regular basis, and those are the, some of the most powerful words I ever heard. But even before that, the actions told me that he loved me. But you know what? Reading it now, it's good to see it in writing that my dad loves me and to know, uh, and to know him more through that. And you know what? The Bible is described as God's love letter to us. I can take a lot out of a letter from my dad to me. How much more can we take out of a letter? This letter from God to us. If we study it, we'll find out what God's really like, what God wants from us, what makes God tick, what makes him happy, what we need to avoid doing. But only if we read it, we'll find his promises. And I'd encourage you, if you're doing a Bible study, start with a small passage, maybe a chapter at a time, something like that. Read it, and then read it again. Ask God to reveal something to you. You know, at different times, the same passage can mean different things. Take the story of Noah. Some see Noah as a story of God's wrath about how mankind had become. And it's true, he was heartbroken about what the world had done. Some see it as a story of God's love for the faithful. He saw Noah and his family said, there's a righteous man. I'm going to save that man and his family. And that's right too. Same story, slightly different interpretations. And the important thing to remember is you can read the same passage many, many, many times. And at different times, it will have different meanings and different significance for you. For that point in your life and where you are. There's loads of books around about how to study the Bible. The most important thing is to find one that works for you and to stick with it. If you find one that needs two hours a day, I'll suggest for a lot of people, that's going to be quite a difficult one. And you're setting yourself up, if you're anything like me, to fail. So find one that suits you. And I'd encourage you, even if you don't feel like doing it, to do it. Okay, next one. Find out what you love doing and that God has called you to do, and then do it. We sing the song back to the start. Which of God's dance floors makes you come alive? You know the song, I'm not going to sing it. I feel alive, I come alive. I am alive on God's great dance floor. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> How to clear the place quickly. Which of God's dance floors is the one that makes us come alive? And it may not be a physical dance floor. I mean, you see the guys down here. I can't bust the moves that those guys do. I can't move. Who's going to moonwalk? Who's going to moonwalk for me? Huh. Huh. No? Okay. I can't, I can't do the moves that they do. But it's about enthusiasm. It's about being infectious and inspiring other people. 
Um, Jesus warned us about being lukewarm in Revelation 3. He hates lukewarm Christianity. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do something that God has called you to do, that you love doing, that you can do enthusiastically to inspire others. And sometimes it means letting go and letting God take control. 17, 18 years ago, the only thing I knew about Dunfermline was like Derby, they got a team that has nil at the end of their name. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one. <laughs> but find something. When you get stuck into it, nothing is going to stop you. No matter what obstacles come your way, nothing is going to stop you. So think to yourself and be honest with yourself. What really does make me come alive? At the start of the year, um, God put in my heart and in Claire's heart um, the desire to do animate. It's not because we're the best cooks in the church. (laughs) Far from it. Um, It's not because we're the best organizers or planners in the church. Far, far from it. But you know what? God put in our heart a love for this family of God here. A desire for us to spend time together, to eat together, to chat, to hang out, to heal hurts, to get to know people more, to mend bridges. We are passionate about this church. We absolutely love this church, you know. We absolutely love it. And that's why we're doing it. Nothing's going to stop us. Thankfully, the trustees and the elders said yes, because it would have been a real battle otherwise. (laughs) But they said yes. And we want it to grow and to thrive, because we want this church to grow and to thrive. Hearing David talking about um, 1,200 1200 youth, 2,400 kids, 4,000 people, how awesome would that be? We love this church. There's no reason that we can't do that in this church. Maybe not in this building, but in this town. Wouldn't it be great to see 4,000 people in this town worshipping together in the centre of town? I think that would be awesome. I remember when we did Pentecost in the park. Uh, Was it in the year 2000? I'm sure it was a Millennium, when the churches came together and we took over down at the Glen um, by the little outdoor stage, we had some music and worship. That was awesome. What a great time. Anyway, sorry, I, I digress. Find out what you love doing that God has put the desire in your heart to do and do it with enthusiasm. And you know what? By doing that, you'll have to drop some of the things that don't interest you as much. And that frees up more time so you can concentrate on what does. Um, make you tick. Jesus was kind of a busy guy, I think you'll agree, but you never read about him burning out. You never read Jesus, oh, I'm too exhausted just to do that. I can't heal you at the moment, I just need a bit of a kip. Jesus knew the secret of withdrawing at the right time to renew and refresh and get his strength from his Father. He only did the things that God was calling him to do. He didn't try and do too much. So when you're looking for something to do with enthusiasm, if you don't feel like doing it, I'd encourage you to do it anyway. And fourthly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Easy. You ask. 
and you ask daily. Holy Spirit, fill me up. The Holy Spirit is first described as tongues of fire appearing on the, the people's heads. Tongues of fire. He's Jesus' representative here on earth. His aim is to help us fulfill the promise that God's given us and that God wants us to do. And he helps us take our knowledge of Jesus and his word and his life and turn it into wisdom and choices and a lifestyle that will honour God. So even if you don't feel like being filled with the Holy Spirit, do it. Okay. Maybe I could get the band to come back up. Um, first possible, guys. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come forward. We'll just come to a time of prayer and ministry. So if you feel on the line from a flame to fire, if you feel like you're down here, you want to be further that way, then come and get prayed for. If you feel you're here, you want to be close to there, come get prayed. If you feel you're here, but you're slipping backwards, moonwalking again, come and get prayed for. If you feel you're here and you want to stay here, come and get prayed for. If you feel you want to fill in with the Holy Spirit, come and get prayed for. I think out of the four points that I mentioned, the one about the studying your Bible is possibly the one that most, well, it's certainly the one I would struggle with the most. So if you're not in a habit currently of spending time daily with God, studying the Word, but you want to start, then I'd encourage you to start with something that's achievable. Say 10 to 15 minutes a day. Don't set out, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to pray till 7, I'm going to come in from work, I'm going to have my tea by 7.30, I'm going to pray until 10.30, because you know what? 7 o'clock when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> you've already missed your first aim, and you'll get discouraged, and you'll put it off. So if you do want help, I've got some things on the floor down here, it's just... They say it takes 21 days to form a habit. Uncannily, there's 21 chapters in John. So I've got a little thing here, which gives a date and a day. And within each month, each passage, pray and ask God to reveal a message, a promise, a command, and an application. You know what? God will do it. And within each chapter, you'll find these things. And it doesn't take long. 10 to 15 minutes a day is all it takes at first. And it will get you into the habit then of studying the word. Once you're in the habit, it's fine, but it takes time to become a habit. Don't get discouraged if it doesn't happen straight away. And don't wait until tomorrow, because you know what? By the time midnight ticks over, tomorrow's the next day. Tomorrow never actually gets here. So if you want to take one of those, you're more than welcome. Or better yet, everyone's got smartphones these days. There's so many Bible studies out there on the internet. You can get them, they can send you an email every day to remind you to do it, so you've got no excuses. But take the time to study God's word, to find out what God's saying to you, to get built up and to get refreshed. Okay. Yeah, the band are just going to play Spirit Full, so I'd encourage you while they're playing, if you want to come forward for prayer for any reason, please do so. Uh, if you don't, worship and encourage those that are here by worshipping and creating a good sound. Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs>